check swing roller. Tulowitzki. Colorado's the National League champion. There it was. That was the time a mere 13 years ago. Welcome in to the DNVR Rockies podcast brought to you by Strava Craft Coffee. Remember to use that promo code DNVR20 because you save 20% off your entire purchase of that CBD infused, deliciously rich and potentially life altering Strata Craft Coffee. I, <laughs> Patrick's doing well over there. I'm your host, Drew Creaseman. I am the managing editor of DNVR Rockies. Patrick Lyons appears to be hanging in there after a near misfire with that Strata Craft Coffee. And on this episode, we've got the DFA show for you. That's right. It is a Wednesday afternoon, evening. I don't know what 405 on a Wednesday qualifies as. Patrick, if that's late afternoon, early evening, I'll, I'll let the real philosophical, you know, debate people out there have at that one. That means we're live here on YouTube. We're going to be talking about some fun stuff throughout the years with regards to the championship series. That's where we are right now. ALCS, NLCS going on as we speak. Good guys remain undefeated so far in this championship series round of 2020. That's nice to see. But we're going to go into the Wayback Machine a little bit here and talk first about the Colorado Rockies' only appearance in the championship series and then share some of our other favorites with you, uh, honestly, throughout our lives. It would be super fun and cool and hipster and and honestly something that Patrick and I would both consider to like go back and be like, you know, that 1978 NLCS is totally <laughs> underrated. Um but we're, we're going to draw on our own experiences here a little bit. Have some fun. Please share yours with us in the comments. Either your specific memories about the Colorado Rockies in 2007 and their sweep over the Diamondbacks that we're about to get into or any others that were your favorite. What is your favorite championship series that had nothing to do with the Colorado Rockies? We would love to hear about it. But first, Patrick, you saw it there. You heard the Coors Field faithful given into Eric Burns. Has there ever been a more perfect moment in, uh, certainly in this franchise's history, than that play? That it was Eric Burns who had talked all the trash, said that the Rockies <laughs> hadn't outplayed him. It's a check swing. He doesn't even get his money's worth. Uh, corpus on the mound. Tulowitzki makes the play, not an easy one. And the dig at first by the all-time Todd father, the hands in the air, the indelible Rockies moment? Undoubtedly. That's that's the top play, I think, in, in franchise history. It's it's really the the highest point, I think, of the of the franchise. You know, it's the the most notable uh pennant or the most notable thing you could you can raise the banner and and hang your hat on your star shortstop going to your future hall of famer first baseman uh again against a guy who was talking trash against you know your lovable but mm, hateable younger brother arizona diamondbacks very 
kind of fitting that this thing happens. It goes down at Coors Field and not in Arizona. So you just have all of these elements that line up for, again, one of the most perfect moments in Rocktober history. The only thing that would have made it better was, of course, you know, winning the World Series. But uh, I think even still, you know, when the time comes for the Rockies to win a World Series, because I feel fairly confident that they will, uh, you know, it, if it's just a, a lazy fly ball to center field, I mean, yes, that's a great moment. But I think this one for so long for the core base of the Rockies, you know, uh, uh, franchise there, just, just the fans that have been with this team for the past 28 years, they know this memory. And from, from them will splinter the next generation of Rocky fans that will have theirs. But this is that first indelible moment. It's it's even already like it's created new Rockies fans, right? Or like people who had moved here maybe a couple years before or had been in town, but always rooted for other teams. And this moment is the number one thing that people will point to when they talk about why they are now Rockies fans. There are a lot of people listening to this podcast right now who became Rockies fans through this moment. And, and so it's, yeah, it's pretty amazing to go back and look at what, led to that moment because we all remember that it was a sweep. We also remember that there were some ways in which the series was close. There was a reason that Eric Burns was kind of saying, Hey, the Rockies haven't outplayed us. Uh, the second game, now the first game, the Rockies did win five to one uh, relatively comfortably uh, behind a, a fantastic pitching performance from Jeff Francis. You know, it's, it's really too bad that when I think of Francis that year, I think of his great regular season. Then my mind jumps right to him just getting, pounded in game one of the world series in Fenway. But uh, it, so, so your mind can erase that, that he was actually quite excellent in the NLDS and the NLCS for the Rockies and starting them off by going into Arizona and putting up 6.2 innings, scattering like seven hits. I think it was um, one earned run. That's uh, again, what Rockies fan, you know, people look back on history and go, Jeff Francis, was he really all that great? 6.2 innings of one run baseball to start a championship series out of a Rockies starter is nothing to dismiss. No. And, and not to, to get ahead of things too much, but in game three, Josh Fogg nearly matched that, you know, went, went exactly six. So he didn't, he didn't, wasn't able to get into the seventh inning, one less strikeout does it at Coors field, of course. So, you know, we, we've, we've been, talking about it if you go back and listen to tuesday's podcast or monday's podcast talking about you know the history of rocky's pitching and you go man it's been better than you remember it it's it's better than a lot of the stat lines typically tell you over the course of a season uh typically for what goes down at coors field but there are those moments and you say man it's not just been competent it's been competitive and it's been fantastic in some amazing moments like this yeah uh so like I said, a comfortable win there in game one. Game two was was when it got really tense. And there's another thing that we've got to remember now because one of the big storylines of game two was one of the big storylines coming into that series. We've mentioned it once or twice, but that Willie Tavares had missed a huge chunk of the season, the end of the year, the entire run of, of Rocktober, of whatever, the, the 21 of 22 games, these being the last four of that. Willie Tavares had not been there for the first. I'm not doing the math. Don't make me do it. 17 of his eight. He wasn't there. And, and for several games prior, Ryan Spielborgs and Corey Sullivan famously and quite excellently 
had to fill in in his absence. The Kurt, Clinton Hurdle was like, nope, I'm going to put Willie Tavares back in center field. I'm going to have him lead off. And in this game, game two, he made an extraordinary catch in center field going from left center to right center and laying out on a dive um, to, to make an extraordinary athletic catch. And Drew uh, brought in what would be the game-winning run on a bases-loaded walk, get him how you can take him. It was a great at-bat. And again, uh, an image I wish lived on a little bit more in Rocky's history is uh, his smirk after drawing that walk. The way he flipped the bat and looked over it like he like he, he may as well have hit a grand slam in that moment. And the Rock, that Rockies team trusted their pitching so much, and they were right to, uh, that actually Ryan Spire recorded the first save of his career in that game to secure the Willie Tavares walk-off walk. It would, you know, <laughs> you can't walk off in somebody else's ballpark, but the game winner. Yeah, Tavares, you know, you you look at his numbers in that series and you go, well, maybe they should have stick with that, the Spilly and Sully platoon. Uh, he only hit 167 Tavares, but you look at something like wins probability added, he was, you know, the second highest on the team after Brad Hopp. Um, which, which is easy to see why, you know, with his, his two RBIs going four for 12. So, but, but as you started off by saying, it's that defense, right? It's, you know, good, good pitching beats good hitting and good defense is, you know, certainly aids that good, good pitching. And I, and I think that's, that's kind of one of those things that the Rockies now, if we're going to, you know, kind of try to bring it full circle in this just moment is that just how important that outfield defense is yes. and, and can be for this organization in such a large outfield and, and what that can do to the starting pitchers and just, just allow you to relax a little bit more. Cause you know, your guy's going to track it down and you're not going to have another, you know, double on what should have been a single or triple on what could have been a routine F seven in any right. other ballpark. So Tavares was fantastic in there and, and I don't think you can you can question Clint Hurdle's decision there on inserting him back there in the lineup. Not after game two. I tell you, everyone was questioning it before game one, and nobody was questioning it after game two. Uh, it really was a, a memorable performance that, again, I wish lived on a little bit more in Rocky's lore, so maybe we can help spread that. Re remember Willie Tavares uh, along with everyone else. Then, as you mentioned – By the way, did you, you, you said Ryan Spire, that was his first save of his career in the – there in the NLCS, correct? Right. It was his only save of his career. His career. How about that one? No, yeah. he had a he had a very good season for the Rockies. He, he just wasn't their closer. He'd ended up being a bridge guy. He'd come on late, you know, was a was a seventh inning guy. Um, something they desperately need on their current team. You know, it was everything you'd hoped for out of Brian Shaw. You know that kind of thing. But he just, uh, yeah, had never really been called upon to save a game until the NLCS and he came through. So he had a really good 2008 also, and then just kind yeah. of disappeared. But yeah. Hey, thank you for your service there, Ryan. Spired out. Yeah. Spired out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, yeah, he was fantastic that year. Uh, then, as you mentioned, game three, Fogger, the dragon slayer yeah. going up against Levon Hernandez, uh, uh, someone who's won world series and been yeah. excellent and a multiple time all-star, correct? Levon Hernandez has been an all-star a couple times. Um, and, and Fogger, like you said, has another fantastic game. Uh, more fireworks we haven't mentioned, of course, 
the MVP, the true MVP of that season, the MVP of the NLCS, the guy who should have been MVP of the National League, Matt Holliday, with two home runs in the series, drove in uh, – I uh, just lost it. Where did he get? Oh, drove in four. Uh, so, you know, again, when, you, when you're pitching that well, <laughs> that's that's going to get the job done. Had some big timely ones. But, uh, man, those those guys could huck it. And uh, when you <laughs> – yeah, that, that, that really put them behind the eight ball there once they're down 3 nothing. Yeah, that that was that was a crucial one to you know really put the the final dagger in in the Diamondbacks in a lot of ways because you know we again this is 2007 we're talking about so recently sure you know the Red Sox had come come back from being down 3-0 uh, for the first time in MLB history so it was fairly recent but at the same time that was a very special Boston Red Sox club and you know we still haven't seen that since then a team coming back from 3-0 so uh if that if that stands true this year fans you don't have to worry about those astros in your world series this year fingers crossed but that was that was a, a just a great performance by by fog there and, and corpus with his fourth save of the postseason it was uh again like i said that was kind of the final nail in the coffin and it was just inevitable to go out and win that fourth game whether it was going to be you know, in game four or game five, the Rockies were going to close it out at home. Yep. And, and in that final game, Franklin Morales got the start. If you recall, Morales had been a, a solid find out of the farm system at the back end of the rotation that year and acquitted himself just fine. Uh, you know, four innings pitched, gave up one run, was able to hand it off to Matt Hurgis, who ended up getting the pitcher win with Troy Hawk and Brian Fuentes. Manny Corpus shut it all down. You got a, a six run. Uh, what was it, the six-run fourth inning, the play there at the end, sweet justice, your Colorado Rockies are going to the World Series, and I don't remember anything happening after that. Yeah. <laughs> Seth Smith with the pinch hit, uh, two-run double. You know, it was fantastic in that inning to help knock out uh, Micah Owings, no relation to Chris night. Owings. Right, right, right. Um, great hitter, too, Micah oh, Owings. He was, yeah, he was Micah Owings could swing it, yeah. He right. absolutely could. Yeah, he was one of the those original first uh, two-way players, so to speak. And as you said, yes, they had won the NLCS, and that was the the end of that. We don't remember anything else. What one other thing I I do want to add a, is is a really good story um, that I'll, I'll tell quickly is that during the NLDS, uh, and I think I'm telling tales out of school here. Dick Monfort told all of the employees, if we go to the NLCS. I'm going to fly all of you guys out to Arizona. So sure enough, they get the job done and they worked about a, a half day at, at Coors Field. They had a lunch, jumped on the plane, flew down to Bank One Ballpark, as it was called at the time. Uh, now, of course, Chase Field. They saw the game. They jumped back on the plane immediately when the, when the game was over got home at about 5 a.m. Saturday that that next day. So that was an incredibly long work day, so to speak. But I always you just thought that was a, a fantastic story for anyone that was a part of the organization at that time to be wrapped up in this moment. You know, the season had been going on for essentially an additional month, longer than you had expected it. And uh, and Dick Monfort, you know, kind of comes through there and he, and he makes good on his word, takes care of his employees and and you know, flies them out in style. So I, I think that's uh, that's a cool moment because, again, 
who knows if you're going to get that opportunity again? And they haven't. Right. And yet, <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> and yet he took the opportunity in that moment to right. go ahead and do what's right. So, you know, we'll we'll talk all we want about maybe certain decisions that are made on the field uh, by the ownership, by the front office, et cetera, et cetera. But when it comes down to treating people right, uh, I definitely think the Colorado Rockies do that really better than any of the other 30 franchises in Major League yeah. Baseball. They're really pretty fantastic about that. And so it was nice to see them, as you said, walk away with the NL pennant that one time. Uh, I've I've often mentioned that, you know, in the American classic and standardized definition of things that are good in baseball, angels in the outfield. All it took for a literal miracle to happen was to win the pennant. I don't know about any of this World Series stuff. The World Series is a construct of the matrix that we made up to make sense of a senseless and indecisive, chaotic world that's just twirling toward an inevitable heat death. Like, the, you win the pennant. Like, the pennant's a real thing. You can, the pennant's real. It creates angels. You won the pennant in 2007. Congratulations, Colorado Rockies. Was that, was that Joseph Gordon Levitt's speech? Like, that, is that where yeah. that all those? Yeah. Is that where you got all that from? Okay. You're quoting, you were quoting him there in that little monologue. Like That's that. right. I threw in a little Tony Danza as well. I think, I think there was a little bit of Tony Danza. Angela. <laughs> hey, if all this talk of championship series has got you excited for the glory of sports victory, you got to check out our friends over at the Colorado rugby situation. You know, it's getting excited over there. The men's and women's USA 15 Eagles 15 teams are coming here to Colorado, Colorado. What is the name of the state that I've lived in my entire life? Uh, it's over there at an infinity park and you got to check them out, man. It's the greatest place to take in a game and rugby is super fun, cool, weird, and exciting. And if you want to learn all about it, the best place to do is on the DNVR rugby podcast, download it today. Make sure you're following them on Twitter. Check out our guy, Colton. He's doing the basic 101 pods to break down the game for you, but he's also taking you behind the scenes and in-depth with the players, strategy, the analysis, all the new things that are going on in the world of rugby, and there are a lot of new things going on in the world of rugby. If you want to be a part of this really growing sensation and say, I was there in the beginning, this is the kind of thing you tell your kids about. Hey, rugby became the biggest sport in the United States of America in 2042. Do you remember? Yeah, I remember. I was there in Colorado at Infinity Park at the epicenter of that. Check it out, man. You don't want to get left behind. Yeah, and with really the Broncos being the only game in town, shoot, rugby could be the That's America's right. sport uh, this <laughs> next month. <laughs> I, I gave it a little longer than I needed. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. All right, Patrick. Uh, let us go back even further and remember some of the most memorable championship series from our youth. You, you know, it's uh, I've, I've talked before about big fan of the show inside the actor's studio. And he, it would always start out that program with the question, where were you born? And I feel like this is almost like the baseball version of that, right? Like what's the first time you remember watching championship level baseball? Oof. It, it was definitely at some point in the in the late '80s was probably like my first glimpse of 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 seeing something right, and it's crazy to think that long ago, which some of our listeners you know weren't even alive then, and to think that really the championship series, you know, wasn't much older than that because 
you know, we know the World Series has existed since, you know, 1903, but there was not an ALCS and an NLCS mm. for a long period of time because there were just eight teams in each league. So if basically really need to narrow it down. <laughs> yeah. If you're the best team in the American league, you're going to the world series, best team in the national league, going to the world series. In fact, there was a point where baseball was only played in 10 cities across the United States. Like, okay, we, now we've got two teams in New York, two in Chicago, two in LA. Well, LA didn't exist at that point. We actually had three teams in New York, two in Philadelphia, the A's and uh, Phillies, uh, two in St. Louis, Cardinals and Browns, and you had two in Boston, the Braves and the Red Sox. So, you know, it was very condensed, and it really wasn't until the 1960s you got a lot of expansion, uh, two teams coming in the AL in 61, two in the NL in 1962, and then in 1969 the sport opens up even further with four expansion teams, San Diego, Montreal, Kansas City, and the Seattle Pilots, which would last all of one year before they immediately became the Milwaukee Brewers. So that's kind of strange. Pilots better. Yeah. But at that point, okay, now you've got you've got a lot more teams. You've got uh, 12 in each league. So now we need to kind of break it down. They had two divisions, the East and the West. And such was the birth in 1969 of the two divisions. And, of course, Drew, when I talk about Atlanta, what division was Atlanta in? In 1969, right. up until the 90s, were they in the east or the west? Right, Atlanta. Was, yeah, yeah. No, I, they were, of course, because I know this. They were in the west. That's right. Okay. Ridiculous. Now, St. Louis, of Philadelphia, and Boston. <laughs> right. Well, St. Louis. Now, before the Dodgers and the Giants had moved west in the 57-58 uh, offseason, St. Louis was the team that was furthest west of all teams in MLB. So, of course, what which division were they in? The East. Okay. So again, <laughs> where this, this, this all makes sense. Cincinnati, Ohio. Again, of course, they have to be in the West. Uh, Chicago in the National League was in the East. Chicago White Sox in the American League, they were in the West. So yeah. it, it was an interesting time to say the least. It was. Yeah. But, but yeah, to, to, to get back to your question, at some point in, in, in the late 80s was really when you just kind of start maybe – Seeing baseball, I don't necessarily know when it was. I feel like just when the games are more important and everyone around you is watching and they have more care, whether their team is in it or not, is where you kind of have those memories. But, you know, we talked about the other day, probably 92, uh, game seven of the NLCS, Francisco Cabrera goes uh, in game seven there, Atlanta, Pittsburgh uh, at Fulton County Stadium there in Atlanta, uh, hits that. The base hit to left field, Sid Bream, a slow and dumpy first baseman. Not that dumpy, but slow nevertheless. <laughs> Rounds third base. Barry Bond scoops it up in left field, fires home to Mike Lavalier. Yeah. The play the plate, safe. And that's pretty much the last you heard of the Pittsburgh Pirates until the second wild card came around in 2011. Yeah, that, that was <laughs> certainly one of my first and most memorable ones as well for all of the reasons. And I, you know, it – in my mind, it's a memory from my youth, but it's also a thing that I know that I've seen um, so many times over the years in highlight packages and in conversations about Barry Bonds' career and those Braves teams and all of this stuff. And uh, and you can see it here, the, the famous moment before. Ball to left, 
bombs up with it. Back when he was a really good defender, throw just I mean that's a that's a matter of inches, but it's a clear safe. He can't even Sid Bream can't even get up at that point. He's like, please just let me stay down here. I've never run as fast and as far in my life. That's why I play first base, okay? I mean oh, he was in there, but I mean certainly during a time in which think about it again in nineteen ninety two, you saw that play two times. Maybe if you turned on ESPN at the right moment, they're showing you a clip. You don't have instant replay. You don't have five angles. That was it. And again, yeah, if you're a Pittsburgh fan, you're like, he, he was out. According to Michael Valia, he, he was out. His body language showed it. And, but nevertheless, that was kind of the Braves breaking through there in 92. Uh, it definitely gets reviewed today, right? Definitely goes under review. Which <laughs> takes away from that moment because Atlanta wants to celebrate and you go, you're safe. We're okay. But well, hold on. Pittsburgh's still sticking around. Yeah, you're right. That, that would have been reviewed for sure. Everyone's standing there. Yeah, changes it a bit. The the other game that I remember very vividly, uh, 1996, it's a, it's a notable game. It's one of those games where, you know, you say pine tar game. I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, if you go back even further to, I think it was the 1930s and for the Cubs, the Homer in the gloaming. This is a real event. Um, you know, that, that's a big one. Babe Ruth's quote-unquote, called shot, right? These are notable games. Well, this game is simply called the Jeffrey Mayer game. Yeah. And it's uh, game one of the the 1996 uh, ALC, ALCS. Uh, see if we can get that full screen. Um, and Derek Jeter, it's a, a fly ball to right field. Tony Tarasco camps out underneath it. He's and got a 12-year-old it. boy, He's a, tw- <laughs> a 12-year-old boy, Jeffrey Mayer, reaches over and kind of, corrals the ball back in you see tarasco's expression there just he's almost bumping chest with uh, the right field umpire rich garcia and the place was going crazy this boy became a hero um what's his name ended up going down uh jim gray went down and and was talking with jeffrey meyer jeffrey mayer in the tunnel it was it's one of the most notable I think events that has happened. Davy Johnson talking with Davey the umpires. Johnson's not having it. <laughs> no, and again, this is game one. Like this is this is the moment where you go, shoot, this is incredibly pivotal. Uh, again, we get the replay. He's camped underneath that thing. That's oh yeah, what, that's yeah. going to be you very. You very clearly can see that Mayor was reaching over there, oh. pulled the ball back in. Good catch. And, and Solid. from that moment, they did put up like a little barricade that prevented you. I think there was still enough that you could do it. The worst one. Oh. But look how clearly he had done that. So I had a very good uh, view of that. I was down the uh, right field line, you know, in, in the upper deck. You know, that, that was all we could get at that that time. Um, again, Yankees are kind of right in the midst of coming back to life there, and in '96, and saw it and. You know, there's all this hubbub and what's going on. Don't know what's going down. And they make the announcement that, hey, this game is, according to the Orioles, is being played under protest, which was actually really defeating for me as a fan because all my memories in Little League were anytime there was – there he is. He's getting high fives, this kid. <laughs> anytime there was a protest in Little League, that meant the game usually had to be started over from that point because the umpires, you know, maybe they were kids, they made a mistake, whatever it was. Um, right. But in so the I go, leagues, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> yeah, everything that happens now, like, oh, man. It, it, but, but it stuck. They didn't do anything. They didn't overturn it. They, yeah. they 
They let it lay down and it just kept going on and on. The, the, <laughs> the cool thing about this kid is again, you know, was legendary, still is, that he ended up playing college baseball at Wesleyan University, Division Three, And uh, at the time when he was a senior, ESPN even covered this ever so briefly, he had he broke the school's record for career hits uh, at Wesleyan. So Jeffrey Mayer, baseball legend. There he is up oh, on his dad's shoulder. Uh, again, if you're an Orioles fan, I have no idea what you think about this kid. Uh, actually, I do know what you think about this <laughs> I was going to say, I can guess. <laughs> But nevertheless, it, I don't know. What, what do you think would, have, would happen if this went down? to? I, I want to get Kale's opinion because I can see him smiling. <laughs> Kale, what do you think if this happened today, what would the response be? What would happen to this kid? Would he be smiling? Would he be a hero? I, I think it depends on if that happens on the road or at home. Yeah. No, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, fair point. Sensitive <laughs> 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 of events. I think it'd probably be pretty similar, other than there would be a gazillion cell phones in that kid's face right oh. after it would happen. That's like oh, my man. first thought: is the whole celebration, him being lifted on his shoulders. None of that is happening because everybody's got their phones out trying to get a picture of the ball, <laughs> what's happening, or a selfie right. with the kid. So, so that's where my that thought is: forty-five different angles of it. I had, I had a big smile on my face. I'd never seen that clip before. So <laughs> I was just, for me, that was like a new experience. I was obviously, I wasn't even alive. So <laughs> uh, isn't that infuriating in a way? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, it does make you think, like you said, right? If it happens in today's day and age, whoever gets that ball, they're, you know, do they give it, do they give it to the kid or they go, actually, no, I'm going to leave right now, get it appraised. Maybe the kid does sign it. We sell it, you know, do something. I'll donate half the money to charity. It sells for like, you know, a quarter of a million dollars. It's this notable baseball. He goes and meets Derek Jeter. He's on the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon playing all kinds of weird games. His celebrity, he probably becomes more notable, right? Like, yeah. because you say, Kale, you had never seen this before. And you go, all right, well, maybe it was kind of a New York thing. And it was like, well, it was... It was big at the time, there just time. didn't quite exist yet. So things didn't right. go viral. It was right before stuff went viral. <laughs> right before you could exploit people. You know, <laughs> I mean, I mean, you could get exploited in, in 96, but now, I mean, you can really exploit somebody. Really I'm sure if that happened yeah. today, uh, it would be like all over Twitter, obviously. Like Twitter would have been losing their minds during that moment. Um but that's always some fun. Maybe that's a segment idea for a future or something. Is like, what would the tweets have been during you know this you moment go. before the internet existed? Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's really funny. People yeah. would have been losing their mind, and it, you know, I, like you said, people only got to see this whether they were watching Sports Center later, which I think existed in 1996. I'm pretty sure. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> I just, I, I don't know these things. Ancient stone men, Kale. Okay, I don't know when. I don't know when Sports Center was created. Why would I know that? Drew, just be happy the boy knows what Sports <laughs> Center is. Mustache. Hey, yeah, I was gonna say, like, yeah, they used to report on sports too, that, not just LeBron James all the time. It was interesting. Yeah, LeBron versus Michael Jordan. There was a 972,000. Yeah. All right. Get out of here. I'm sick of well, talking about the Yankees. I'm sick of <laughs> what? Well, okay. I, li I like what, you gotta, what? I like what I was going to say. I like how Kale finished. He said, you know, LeBron versus Michael Jordan. And again, if we're talking about great all time ALCS, NLCS, the one interesting thing that I found 
on, on Jeffrey Mayer's Wikipedia page. Yeah, I, I look at it from time to time. There's, there's not, you know, there isn't a JeffreyMayer.com where he's selling his own T-shirts. Which, if this this had happened in 2020, say, yeah, you know damn well, right? Yeah. Um, you know, he might have. Well, I'm not going to make that reference anyway. Uh, when it's when you go to Jeffrey Mayer, it says, "See also Steve Bartman." Well, uh, as well Jordan, because it is the. Jordan LeBron, Jeffrey Mayer, Steve Bartman. So Drew, the, 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 the dark flip side of the coin, right? The the one that went the other way, as Kale yes. said. How would it go if it had happened? Well, it's it's not quite the inverse, but uh yeah, actually my favorite NLCS of all time, though I absolutely hate its most famous moment, is the 2003 NLCS Marlins versus Cubs. And yeah, the Steve Bartman incident that, uh, you know, everyone should check out the 30 for 30 on it if they haven't. And here it is just fly ball to left field playable. Bartman reaches over the side in foul territory prevents his own player. Mondesi from making the catch. Uh, Moise Salu. Mo Moise Salu, sorry, uh, from making the catch. And um you know, the game unraveled right after that. Uh, a lot of it having to do with the Cubs' own play. There was uh, Alex Gonzalez. Now I'm trying to remember. I got to go. Yep. I don't have Error. Error. You're right. Error at shortstop was really bad. And there was a whole game seven to be played. But it is the fact that the Cubs were up at the time of this play. I think that catch would have ended the inning. I think it would have too. Yeah. And again, this is game one. You see Bartman, you know, wiping, you know, beer off of his face, had stuff thrown on him. But yeah, that was only game one. So no, no, that was game that. six. That was game six. I'm almost oh, certain. Oh, yes. No, you're right. Um, the other one yeah. was, was game one. But yeah, this one was was game six. So it was it, it was a little more intense, the the heat. But yeah, he's getting beer and stuff. He actually had to be escorted out of there. Uh, the, the crowd was really ready to turn on him or had turned on him. And it was, you know, the security was worried about his safety. And in fact, security remained worried about his safety for years following he basically had to go into hiding uh and avoid people and basically try to wipe his public existence completely from the map it's actually a really sad and scary story yeah. about um you know the way people overreact to sports losses but uh certainly it's one of those moments uh, one of the most memorable moments in any championship series in our lifetimes maybe the most memorable yeah, I, I think it is. I think it, it definitely takes the cake. And um, again, living in the New York, New Jersey area, I don't know anyone that uh, dressed up as Jeffrey Mayer for Halloween. Whereas, still to this day, you can go to you can go to any major uh, city in the United States, and someone is going to have a Cubs hat, a sweatshirt, uh, a turtleneck on underneath that sweatshirt, and an old school, you know, AM FM radio headset and you go and with glasses and you go oh steve bartman steve bartman very nice and you're right it's, it's a very sad story about you know what what happened to that guy you know went to the game all by himself went got a ticket vanished off the face of the planet you know the one nice thing that the one happy ending is you know you, you think about bill buckner who was a guy in, in in 1986 this is in the world series i'm sure we'll talk about it on the world series day at the dfa show next wednesday but how Bill Buckner was just vilified for that error. He made, coincidentally, in game six 
of the World Series in 86 and how eventually after, coincidentally, um, the Red Sox won their second World Series in 2007, how he was finally welcomed back as it threw out the first pitch on opening day. I believe in 2008, you know, tears in his eyes and kind of like the fans were like, hey, let's let bygones be bygones. You know, you're, you're okay. You don't have to hide and, and, and never show your face again in New England. It's all good. Well, after the Cubs had won the World Series in 2016, they did gift a 2016 World Series ring to Steve Bartman, who, you know, made a public statement for the first time about, you know, thank you. I don't really, you know, deserve this, but I do appreciate how kind, you know, the Cubs organization has been to me. So, you know, it's, yeah, maybe a happy ending, but, you know, you and I, we don't need happy endings because we're just like regular Joes in a sense. Right. Nothing tragic should be happening to us where right. we need that happy ending. Nothing tragic should happen to him either. It is the right comparison. It's just brutal that the right comparison is Bill Buckner, who got paid millions yeah. of dollars to play for the Boston Red Sox. And Steve Bartman was just a guy who went to a game. Uh, and right. it's, it, it's totally brutal. But the happy part of it for me was that the Marlins team that I'd been following all year because my favorite Rockies player had been traded to them, Juan Pierre, and I'd sort of I'd actually gotten a chance to visit Miami that year and go to a game down there in Miami, a game where Dontrell Willis pitched not well, but he hit a triple uh, and and like swung the it was like one of those weird whatever. Uh, Josh Beckett was on that team, Luis Castillo, a very young Miguel Cabrera, Derek Lee on that team. Uh, they were a real real fun bunch and so uh as you know they would go on to beat the yankees in the world series that year uh it, it was a great uh pudge rodriguez how could i possibly forget my yeah. favorite catcher of all time behind the plate that was just a really really fun team to root for and it was immediately dismantled the following season the fall like immediately after that world i think the next day in my mind they they got the world series championship and the following day, Miguel Cabrera, Juan Pierre, Luis Castillo, and, and everybody was traded. I know that's not what happened, but in my mind, that's what happened. Yeah, well, they they did the same I thing. I was traded the next day. <laughs> they, they did essentially, you know, do the same thing in uh, in 97 when yeah. they beat Cleveland. Where So, again, it's it's one of those weird things where you go, wait a minute. Well, Miami's also never won a, a pennant, uh, but they've won a World Series. But how did they do it? And uh, it's, it's kind of strange. Uh, some other real cool um, – uh, championship series memories is again one that was a big deal in in new york uh robin ventura in 1999 in game five at shea stadium they didn't win the series atlanta would go on to beat them but uh with the bases loaded in the game tie i think this was the 14th inning um and uh, i can't even remember that the pitcher on the hill it wasn't john rock or some some uh, less than talented guy Robin Ventura over the 371 sign, walk off, grand slam. Other than the fact that Todd Pratt, after he touched second base, decided, I'm done running, picks up <laughs> Robin Ventura. You see Ventura there for a second. He's pointing like, go, keep going. You what are you doing? Go. I just hit a grand slam. No, you didn't. You hit a walk off single that went over the fence because you never got around to touching second base. Nobody else touched third yes. or home. Right. And it's just, just one of those moments you go, wait, how do you hit a grand slam single? Well, if the guy on second base decides, ah, screw it, I'd really just want to celebrate. So Todd Pratt, you are to blame or to thank in this. Here you can see him pointing. There's Ventura's like, go, what are you doing? No, I just hit a grand slam. All right. And here he is laughing, having a good time. 
so it's going to seem like a strange segue for a second, but stick with me. The girlfriend and I have been re-watching old episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. Well, she's oh, I know where you're going with this. <laughs> I have no idea. All right, I'm sticking with you. I trust you. Go ahead. She's been watching them for the first time. I'm going back. It was one of my favorite childhood shows, and we've just sort of been having it on while we watch dinner. And last night, there was an episode where... There was an uh, you know an alien from the 24th century who was talking about how he had studied and come to understand the game of baseball. And he's a scientist and he had done all of it through the use of box scores. And he gives this really beautiful and eloquent speech about how he can play entire games and seasons in his mind by looking through all of the box scores. And it's, it's really just a beautiful um, love letter to the game of baseball. But then you think about stuff like this and imagine somebody like that in the year in the 24th century coming about upon a box score that says walk off grand slam single no no like in there and they're trying Can't to compute yeah smoke's coming out of their robot vulcan ears or what have yeah, you yeah exactly just that doesn't compute at all all right <laughs> yes essentially i think i think babe ruth actually lost a couple home runs uh for that for that exact same reason where it was basically when the winning run scores, uh, that's you know that's when the game ends, right? Not jogging anymore. <laughs> and and I, I feel I don't know if I don't I don't know if if this is yeah I don't know if this is me bringing my uh, you know New York history to the table here with all of these Yankees and Mets highlights, or just the fact that you go back and look and you well, know they've been in a lot of championship series. It is more of that. Let's let's be honest. There is more of that. Uh, but probably the most notable, and this is another one that you and I, uh, pre-show, I talked about, Drew, just all-time great series. Uh, yeah. Well, there's there's two involving the Yankees and the Red Sox. One in 2003, one in 2004. They each went totally different ways. Yeah, yeah. There's there's the Boone, right? The Boone stuff, and then there's the Dave Roberts stuff, if you want to categorize it as broad. Or or you can't take, like, Ortiz and stuff out of that. But, of course, in 03, and, and remember, too, and there's another great, there's a, you know, 30 for 30. We did a little bit of trashing of the four-letter network early on, so I may as well <laughs> shout out some of their fantastic. Nothing wrong with four letters. Oh, what a terrible pitch. Was that knuckle? Was that? Tim Wakefield. Uh, Wakefield? That was Wakefield. Well, that's... that's a knuckleball that was right in the middle of the plate. Uh, Boone just smashes it to left after a bad year where, you know, he'd been booed as often as cheered in, in the Bronx and was awful in the playoffs. It was batting like one sixteen or something crazy up to that point through yeah. 10 games. Ugh. Aaron bleep and Boone. You hate to see it. Oh, and, and the Red Sox, uh, again, this was at the time where this seemed to be a, a yearly, occurrence for them. And I can recall a time in my life where I felt bad for the Red Sox and for their yeah. fans. Right that this time, this exact this moment here when I watched this live, you just how could you not feel like oh man, and all the all the books and movies and sap stories about being a Red Sox fan and they were understandable. Like like how, it just became how are they going to lose in more heart look at Pedro Martinez. Is that Baby Yoda? Head inside. <laughs> Uh, he was yeah. Love Pedro Martinez. You you can become you can be very lovable when you lose. Like you you just feel yeah. something for them. Like the the lovable losers. And yeah. you know I again as a Yankee fan at that time it was very much like you know they were hated and it was like that's the story that's how it 
it's kind of supposed to go. But, you know, you take a step back, you go, man, that is painful. That is just really painful to think that you're just never going to get, you know, a victory in your life. And again, I, I'm as a historian, I know what, you know, my love of baseball, how that's come from, you know, my father and, and his father and, and, and my mother's father and, and all these things, how it's passed down from generations and how there's essentially a generation, the greatest generation almost, that some of those guys, they literally had never seen or witnessed a World Series in their life. And you go, well, that's not right. Even if they do root for the quote unquote enemy, like everybody should have their day. And it's, it's, it's a, it was a beautiful thing that they were able to do that. Now, how they were able to do that in 2004 is, uh, is a horse of a different color, let's just say. Quick note, though, from super producer Kale digging it up. Boone was hitting 161 on basing 212 and slugging 194 through 10 playoff games that year. And he did that. Like, that's the guy that keeps you from it. If it's Babe Ruth or Lou Gehrig or Aaron Judge or Derek Jeter or fine, but Aaron bleeping Boone, but they got him back the next year. Finally, justice was served. And Boone, it, it, it should be pointed out. It should be pointed out too that Aaron Boone hurt himself in a pickup basketball game that offseason. And it forced, unfortunately, for the Yankees to go out and get Alex Rodriguez. So Aaron Boone really kind of screwing, screwing Red Sox, everybody twice there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and of course, one of the most famous moments from this one the Red Sox were potentially dead to rights, bottom of the ninth. Dave Roberts, current manager. <laughs> 3-0, again, Yankees up 3-0. Everyone in the ballpark knew David Robert, Dave Roberts was stealing. And, you know, thrown over to Mariana, thrown over to, to first base a couple times in that moment. You even see the, the, the jump Posada gets where if you watch this and don't see the runner, you're just going to go, wow, all right, this guy's out. Throws a strike right down to Jeter, you know, kind of on the left field side of the bag. But Roberts, she was going the whole way. He just had to get into scoring position. And you see the fans there at Fenway, how hyped they are. And you go, why would you be hyped? You're down 3-0. No team has ever come back from that. Mariano Rivera's on the hill. Didn't you watch the playoffs last year with Aaron Boone? Or if you're watching this podcast right now, a minute and a half ago, you're not supposed to win. Oh, Bill Miller, they sit up to center field. We got a tie ball game. And there's no way he scores on that hit without stealing second base. He was put right. in the game to steal second base. And like you said, they are grasping at straws. Oh. They are 90% underwater, down three games to nothing, down in the bottom of the ninth, down to their final out. And their only hope is a stolen base and a single. And they got it. They got exactly what they needed to. But that, that series really was full of, of memorable and iconic moments. We can hate all the Red Sox stuff after it and, and fine if you want to. And and but and and say what you will again about Kurt Schilling off of the baseball field. And I've said plenty. This is one of the great moments in championship series history. You had to get like an attendant attached, reattached in his ankle there. Uh, bloody sock there. You see him going. Uh, and in uh, I think it was game six, and um, man, just had to grit it out in a major way. 
doesn't look like it's ketchup. That's blood. He's got no, no reason to, to hide it or, or to make an excuse. Even Gary Sheffield, I mean, the lineup that the Yankees had was unbelievable. But, yeah, Schilling was a, was a big-game pitcher, you know, kind of cut his teeth in 93 with the Phillies team that went to the World Series, lost to Toronto uh, with Joe Carter's walk-off home run against uh, Mitch Williams. You know, added to that pitching staff uh, in Arizona, paired up with Randy Johnson, where they took every single award, you know, postseason awards, uh, full season Cy Young awards. They were even the Sports Illustrated Sportsman of the Year. They shared that title in 2001 for beating the Yankees after 9-11. And you go, well, you shouldn't be winning. But they went and did it. And Curt Schilling was, you know, obviously a huge component to that. And, you know, Boston, of course, goes out and gets in the, the hired gun. And these are the games that, you know, are kind of make and break and say, hey, this is what we got you for. I, yep. You know, you make 34 starts in the regular season. That's great. Yeah, you're supposed to take us to the playoffs. But this is the game that you got to go down and get. And you know what? Garrett Cole got some, you know, got some decent credit for the, the outing um, in game five of the NLDS there right. against Tampa. But it was only – uh, was it five innings or was it six innings? Now I'm drawing. I, th- I think it was only five. I think it was only five. Yeah, because even if it was six, you go, eh, okay. But it was only five. He did not do a very good job. I don't think. You know, you got to go out there and you. I know he was starting on three days rest, but you got to be a boss. You got to be an ace. And Kurt Schilling here, man, you're right. Say what you will about his politics. This guy was a dude, and it's one of the reasons why. Regular season doesn't doesn't tell the whole story for him. When you look at what he does in the postseason, particularly here in Game Six, guy's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I don't know that I agree with that, but it was a remarkable performance. Uh, I, he would not have my vote, but it was an absolutely extraordinary performance. Very, it was it was Billy Chapel esque. So <laughs> <laughs> you got to hand it to him there. All right, what else we got on the docket? Billy Chapel make it to the Hall of Fame? I'm not I'm not really sure. I can't remember. Oh, wait, before we get to the next piece of the docket, we got to give a shout-out to our friends over at DraftKings. You know they are the best hookup. If you want to make your sports watching just a little bit more interesting for yourselves, you want to get a little bit of skin in the game, you want to take advantage of this last little bit while baseball is being played. You got your baseball knowledge you got to know about who's going out there, who's going to get wins, who's going to hit home runs. You know the stuff. You love the stuff. Now you can take advantage of that stuff by downloading the DraftKings Sportsbook app using the promo code DNVR because you can get hooked up with a sign-up bonus of up to 1000 bucks. And whether you're getting into the football season, doing it that way, like we said, I'm sure they'll have stuff on rugby. There are going to be things post-baseball, so – If you're going, wait, why would I download it now if baseball is just about to end? Well, one, you get this great promo code. And two, there's plenty, plenty of other stuff to bet on. Plus, odds will be out before you know it for next season. And that's a lot of times where you can find your best value is getting in very, very early. Patrick's talked about a lot. Our DNVR bets program talked about a lot. But you can get in on some good deals early before anybody knows what what things are going to be and then they'll buy you out of that before games are played sometimes if somebody has a great off season they may be like hey the public opinion shifted on this team we'll buy you out of your bet before a game 
is played. There's a lot of ways to keep it fun throughout the offseason by downloading that app. So do so. And again, use that promo code DNVR because you get a sign-up bonus of up to 1000 bucks. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to 500 bucks. Deposit bonus requires 25 by playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. And that's why my DraftKings sportsbook Pick of the week for tonight, game four of the ALCS, is a player prop. It is for G-Man Choi to go yard. You're getting four to one odds on that. You got now you do have Zach Greinke on the hill for Houston, but I like the lefty-righty matchup there with Choi on the left-hand side there. Uh, He's been okay this postseason. He's going to get the start there at first base for the Rays. He did hit a home run in the ALDS, uh, did a good job there. He hit one last year against Houston in the ALDS, so I think he's primed to do that again. Uh, Should be a relatively low-scoring game, especially if Jose Altuve doesn't continue to have the yips uh, and become the next Chuck Knobloch. That would be very unfortunate for the Houston Astros, who still have to pay him, I believe, 100 $16 $16 million. That might, they have to pay him, I think, even more than that over the next four years. And if he cannot play second base. They're going to need uh, him to be able to throw a baseball for that amount of money. That's going to be very hard. Yeah. But my DraftKings Sportsbook pick of the week is going to be G-Man Choi, 4-1 to one odds, plus 400 on hitting a home run tonight. Put that in the books. <laughs> the old Aaron Sorkin sports night joke about the kicker who's phenomenal in practice. And he says, I'm pretty sure at this level they want you to be able to do it in a game. <laughs> you got to be able to throw the baseball a little bit. So, all right, I love that. That's a, that's a great pick. And getting back into, uh, it looks like maybe our last one on the list of championship series from the past. That, well, I want to throw one, one in before we get to the video. We don't have a lot of time to talk about it, but I do also have a fond place in my heart for the 2004 NLCS, which was nowhere near mm. as famous as the 2004 ALCS. Right. The St. Louis Cardinals uh, battled with the Houston Astros in a great series. The Cardinals went up the first two games. The Astros won the next three, really put the, the heat on the Cardinals, and they came back to win the last two with Larry Walker, um, you know, having a, a solid but not great series, still being a part of that team. Jim Edmonds, uh, you know, kind of in the – uh, great days of his career. Uh, just like I still think it was like early days of Adam Wainwright, who's been in the league, I think, since 1977. Uh, and so uh, that was a really fun team to root for, obviously, at a time when, uh, you know, the Rockies had just traded away Walker and were doing their version of a, a very small rebuild that would turn into young players they got for 06 and 07 and so on. But once they had traded Walker, uh, you know, the Cardinals were the team to root for if, if you lived out here. And that they would go on to win the World Series that year was was pretty fun. The Cardinals, uh, well, two, you said two thousand four, right? Yeah, you're right. Well, the Red Sox won in two thousand four. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. They sorry. won the series. They won the NLCS that year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They won. Yeah, they won this, and they won the World Series the next year. That was when the Cardinals won the World Series. Cool story from that World Series was that. Uh, again, there's all the big Rockies connection, as you said. You had Larry Walker there on on the 04 Cardinals, and uh, with the organization in 04 for Boston was Ellis Burks, 
And yep. in fact, when the Red Sox won the World Series there in 2004, broke the curse, you know, cowboy up, Kevin Millar, all those guys. Yeah. Uh, learn this from Manny Rendawa's book, Blake Street Bombers. Make sure you check that out right. uh, on bookshelves somewhere. Uh, get it from Amazon.com. Yeah. But <laughs> in it, he tell it was fantastic. Again, you have Walker and Burks and Red Sox win the World Series there. When they came back into Boston, they landed. All the fans there at the airport. The guy who carried the uh, the piece of metal there, the commissioner's trophy, mm -hmm. uh, off the plane and through the fans right. was Ellis Burks. Players right. decided, they voted on him and said, you know what? No, no, this is a guy that behind the scenes in the clubhouse really gave us what we needed to kind of push us over the edge there. Uh, and take out the Cardinals there, winning in St. Louis. And it's kind of neat to think, you know, hopefully, you know, uh, the Rockies will have real Rockies players carry that trophy up to this point. That's probably the closest, you know, that they've they've come. But that's kind of neat. To, to think gonna go the, bomb, bomber versus bomber. So that's right. Some one of the Rockies players was was going to win it. And uh, and let's just hope. Well, I don't want to say I don't hope Jake McGee wins it this year, but there's a couple guys still on the hook that you say, hey, that guy, that guy's a former Rocky. That could count for something. Matzik. Death Star. Tyler Matzik's the guy. Not Dustin Garneau. He's with the Astros. Sorry, Dustin. Sorry, Dustin. You make choices in life. All right, what's our last one? <laughs> well, um, I was going to say it doesn't really have any memorable moments other than the series itself going seven games in 2017, the ALCS uh, going the distance there between Astros and Yankees, and really the, the memorable moment is the moment that is kind of there in the background that we yeah. can't see, the Astros yeah. stealing signs. Uh, doing, you know, I, I don't think they were banging on trash cans at this point, or rather, see I don't, off the mound, check out your boy. <laughs> yeah, look, we're in those pajamas. Uh, he looks great now. He's he yeah. kind of looks like the big show where yeah. uh, 58 19. He looks like the big show where he's this big, gigantic guy, and then now he's svelte, you know, working out all toned up, other than you know, a lot of loose skin there. Uh, so CC's looking great, but it's kind of what's what's behind the scenes is the idea that this Astros team, they are cheating, and they need all seven games to do that and take Yankees to the brink. Could have had that again this year. That would have been, you know, sweet revenge for the Yankees to to come back and, and take down Houston. Alas, it'll be it'll be Tampa Bay. I think that's going to do that. Yeah, I think it's going to have to be. What a catch! Not in that play. Yeah, man, it it's brutal to watch it back in hindsight. And uh, like you said, it, it's sometimes in life, it's about what you're not seeing, about what's not there. And to go back and take a look at this and, and realize exactly what you just said, that the Yankees took them to seven games when we now know that, you know, there were a lot of times in which the Astros knew what pitch was coming and, and were able to use that to their advantage and end up win the series and end up going on to, uh, win that World Series, and to this point, you know, their punishment for doing that has been some suspensions for some executives and a couple of draft picks. And there was a fine, I think, right? And that's... 14 bucks, yep. Something like that. <laughs> there was some change. I don't count it. Uh, they they could have rounded up all of their tokens from the Aladdin's castle. 
Right. Yeah. I, I mean, the change yeah, might have rounded up to fifteen dollars. Castle is. Kale has no idea. Netherlands, Netherlands finest, Evan Gaddis there with uh, with the home run. That's right. He had a great beard, I've, but but still, like, come on. Still a free agent. He's uh, he's still dangling out there. Still looking for a job. Catchers who can hit, but you know, can't catch. It's always one or the other with those guys, isn't it? But it, it, it's uh, a <laughs> uh, brutal, brutal time to relive. And and to think that we should even have to go back and like feel bad for the Yankees again. It's like, thanks, Patrick. In one podcast, you've made me feel bad for the Red Sox and the Yankees. You jerk. This is entirely your fault. You are to blame. Kale kept running the video, so you're not off the hook either. This is terrible. I'm going to try for the trifecta and see if I can find some missed calls in the Atlanta LA game and go, look at this call. Corey Seager was called out on strikes here with runners on second and third. And you play on the ball strike thing. If I can make. <laughs> he was, he was, I had to take him off. He was being a Dodgers sympathizer and I can't have any of that on this podcast. Decision made. And then oh. Fernando Valenzuela. I was going this whole time. <laughs> Fernando, no, okay, all right. Does Kale know Fernando? No, Kale knows you for Fernando. So when they signed Hideo Nomo, get this, no, dude. If only, you know. Okay, let me draw. Let me plug one thing before we get out of here, because you know a name that I found when we were looking back and we were talking about relievers the other day, and uh, you know the types of guys Rocky should sign and how to not do that, get the the next one down. Forgotten man from the Super Bullpen, Mike Dunn. There's a little tease for a future conversation we can start to have about the types of relievers, the types of players the Rockies should be going out. But we got to wrap this one up uh, talking about championship series. It's been a whole lot of fun. Thank you all for swinging by, joining us on the live, whether it was the Facebook, the Periscope. Or remember, on Wednesdays for the DFA show, we are live on YouTube. Subscribe. Make sure you click on the bell icon so that you know uh, you get a little notification whenever we're going live. You can join us, hang out, and have a lot of fun with us. And you don't want to miss out on all the video and stuff that we've been rolling and watching and enjoying and, and reminiscing about here, too. Only way to do that is join us at 4.05 on Wednesdays or 4.05 all the other days of the week if you're just on Facebook and Periscope. Also, make sure that you're following us on social media at Drew Creaseman, at Patrick D. Lyons, at DNVR underscore Rockies. You're subscribed to the DNVR.com so you don't miss out on any of that written content, including a really unnecessary, well, maybe not unnecessarily, but enormous article I'm working on about the Colorado Rockies Super Bowl pen that will be coming out before the end of the week. And it is a monster of a piece. So be ready to buckle in, get some Strava Craft coffee, some Breck brew, and subscribe to the DNVR.com to read that thing. Other than that, we can only ask that you continue to remain absolutely awesome out there. We will continue to remain absolutely Patrick Lyons, Drew Creaseman, and super producer Kale in here. And until next time, we will see you. Ballpark.